Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for the gift of this new day. And God, we really do welcome the presence of your Holy Spirit. We are all too well of what we are not, but God, we, uh, we gather to be reminded of who you are, of what it is that you've done for us through Jesus. So God, thank you for everyone that you've gathered here in this place and online this morning. God, pray that in the worship, in the fellowship, in the message, in your word, God, we are reminded yet again of who you are and how much you love us, all that you've done for us. So God, we just take this time and we ask that it would all be to your greatest glory in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, before we begin, and I'm excited about this one today, this is talking about David and that incredible, that incredible clash that he had with Goliath that really set the stage for much of what he would become as a king. We can't get into all of that before I stop and say thank you to Cindy, who is sitting in the back prayer corner right now, for the incredible job you did last week, Cindy. Thank you. We... I had asked her a while ago if she'd be interested in preaching on Gideon or teaching on. She says, I'm not a preacher. Would you be interested in teaching on Gideon and Samson? They couldn't be more different. And she goes, oh, let me pray about it. She came back and said, yes, awesome job. Thank you. So it, uh, it worked out that we, we didn't plan to be gone, but we ended up needing to be gone. And so thank you for being a church that allowed us to go uh, to be a part of a family in mourning and to, to say goodbye to someone ourselves. I got to do a funeral for a 20-year friend of ours and a, a good friend of Deidre's as well in Florida. We both got to speak at it. So thank you for letting us go do that. Today I want to talk about David. We've been really talking about leaders in the Old Testament. And the idea is that, you know, they're not the people that are so far out there that we can't relate to them. They're people who in a lot of ways are very much like us. They've got all kinds of questions. They don't think that they're the best choice. They don't think that they're the one that God should maybe choose for the job. And we're to take a look at David. David never set out to be a leader. David never set out to be a king. David set out to be a good shepherd. And yet David is remembered by the people of Israel, the Hebrews, the the Jewish people of today, as the greatest king in their history. When they look back on their time, David is the king that they look at as the greatest hero. And yet, as so often happens in God's story, it's rarely the ones that God chooses to be the heroes that you and I would choose. They don't seem to have what it takes, at least not in the moment, God's chosen rarely makes sense to a world full of prideful and self-righteous and religious people because God does things differently. What we learn about David is that God looks at our hearts. And that's one of the great things that you and I have to take out of the story of David. See, God doesn't expect or demand our perfection. God doesn't demand that we live this flawless life, lived without sin. No, God expects us to love Him, and to intentionally cultivate a heart that seeks God's heart, that seeks God's will. That's what God asks of us. We have the opportunity to be men and women and young people who choose to have a heart after God's own heart. So we're going to talk about David, because that's what God said of him, that's what the Bible says of him, that David was a man after God's own heart. So here's this guy that's remembered as the the greatest and the the most revered, the most powerful, the most loved king in the history of the Israelites. For thousands of years, the Jewish people have waited for their Messiah. 
See, they didn't believe that Jesus was the one because Jesus wasn't a warrior king and they wanted a king like David. They still do. A mighty warrior king who will come in and save them from all their enemies and restore them to greatness. The greatness that they enjoyed when David was king. And yet the thing is that that Jesus is everything that they've been promised. Jesus is in the line of David. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is the one who was born in Bethlehem. And He's the one who has restored David's house, the way the prophet Amos says in Amos 9. And yet there's, there's a whole group full of people who do not believe that Jesus is the one because they're still looking for a king like the great King David. So David's story really begins when he's young. So much of the events of his life, we think about him as a, as a young man or as an older man. But you know, the story begins and he's very young. He's maybe 10 years old. He's working on his father's farm and he's a shepherd. And it's important as we go through this that we connect the Old Testament dots to the New Testament dots because David is the one who begins really becoming prominent in that line that leads to Jesus. It's important in Scripture that we understand that David, this guy that came from a little shepherding village called Bethlehem, is the very same place and is the very same line that Jesus our Savior comes from. So we meet this little guy, David. He's a young man. He's a shepherd. His older brothers think absolutely nothing of him. He's the guy that gets to do all the grunt work on the farm. See, God has rejected Saul as king. Saul has been living as king. Because Saul refused to be faithful to God, he refused to obey God's commands. So God sends this prophet named Samuel. And so often in the Old Testament, the prophets get the job of bringing the message that nobody wants to hear. They're afraid for their lives because what happens when people get scolded on something they don't want to be scolded on? They're worried about getting killed. And Samuel is worried about having to go to Saul because God says, basically, you're going to tell him that the leadership mantle that I've been, I have given you, I'm going to take away. You're not going to get to be king anymore. So if you're a note taker or if you've got your Bible with you, we're going to hit a whole bunch of passages. We're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 13. I'll keep you, uh, keep you posted as we move here. 1 Samuel 13 verse 14. Samuel goes to Saul and he says this, But now your kingdom must end. The prophet is speaking to the king. Your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Little did Saul know that man was still a young boy. The Lord has already appointed him to be leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. God is serious about us being men and women and people after God's own heart. God is serious about how it is that we see him and we see others. And so what follows is David's life and lessons on leadership, things that we can all learn from. It's the growth of David from a boy who was a shepherd into a king, and it is also the regression, the downfall of King Saul from anointed king to cruel, paranoid shell of a man. So if you jump to 1 Samuel 16, we see the history begin to unfold. Samuel goes to Bethlehem. God sends him to Bethlehem. He doesn't want to go. But he says, bring a heifer and sacrifice the heifer. And then invite Jesse and his sons. Because God says, I got a a job for you. So he uh, goes in 1 Samuel 16, 7, after Jesse has brought out his oldest sons. Samuel is hearing from God. God's saying, no. The Lord says to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see the things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
That's an important thing for us to make sure that we understand. You think you know somebody? Do you know them by outward appearance or do you know them by their heart? Do you know them for the things that they've done or do you know them for who they are? Do you know for what people say about them or do you know them for what God says about them? Because God makes clear, God makes clear that He does not judge by outward appearance the way that we do. The Lord looks at the heart and that is so key in the story of David. The human heart is something that God alone knows in all of its depth. See, we think we got people figured out because, you know what, we know something they did that was wrong. We know a sin. We know where they broke their law. We know their mistakes. We know their addiction. Maybe we say, well, I know their religiousness. They're very spiritual people. Or they give a lot of money away. Or they're very wealthy, which means God must be blessing them. Or we know their good deeds, but we know all too well that none of those things, good or bad, make up the sum total of who any of us is. And the heart of David and God's special love for him should give, every, should give every single one of us hope. Because it isn't the outward appearance. It isn't whether you look the part or act the part or talk the part. It's about the heart. No matter who we are, no matter what mistakes we've made, no matter how complicated or busy or whatever it is that we've done with our lives to this point, God looks at our heart, not at our history. And if you're a note-taker, I would encourage you to take that note right there. God looks at my heart, not my history. See, the world, they judge you based on your history. They judge you based on what's said about you, what other people say about you. Not God. What you are today is not who you have to be for the rest of your life. Whatever you are today is not what you have to be for the rest of your life. Maybe you came in this morning sad, broken, mourning, sinful, addicted, bitter, lost. That's not who you have to be the rest of your life. That maybe is who you are in the moment. But the story of David makes it very clear that who we are in the past is not who we have to be in the future because David makes some really huge mistakes. He sins tremendously, but it doesn't define the rest of his life. So we're going to move quickly now. We're going to go through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel after first service. I heard that that's the fastest we've ever heard you talk, Pastor, but I can actually talk a lot faster. I'm not going to do that. I remember the first time I had to read in church growing up, I don't know what it was for. I practiced and practiced and practiced and mom and dad, they worked with me and I got up there to read that passage and I got done and I'm not joking. Everybody in church was going. And I felt awful and I sat down. I said, dad, what happened? She said, you did a great job, but I don't think anybody understood you. You were kind of fast. Well, we're going to go almost that fast today. First and second Samuel, we hit some of the notable points from the life of David that helped shape him as a person and a king. But I want to encourage you, don't think that this is just David. Think about these things and how it is that they connect and relate to your life, the good and the bad. Because you know what? You have a history of both. You have a history of some really great things, and you've got some history of things that are just sinful that you shouldn't have done in the first place. David serves as a great lesson for all of us. So 1 Samuel 16, David's anointed king as a youth somewhere in his early teens, 10, 11, 12, maybe 13 years old. 1 Samuel 16, <coughs> for the Lord sees not as man sees. That's important because this shepherd boy was overlooked and dismissed by his older brothers. If Samuel was coming to find somebody who was going to play a major role in, in Israel, their little brother wasn't it. 
In fact, so much so that his dad didn't even bring him in from the field. He was left out there taking care of the sheep. He was overlooked by everyone, including his father, but not by God. And that matters because you haven't been overlooked by God either. See, God knows who you are. God knows where you are. And God knows what you're going through. And it might feel like nobody knows, nobody cares. God doesn't even know what's going on. That just isn't true. What matters more, and we're going to find this out from his brothers, is your perspective. Because God knows who you are, where you are, and what you're going through. David and Saul, uh, Saul, it says in verse uh, chapter 16, starting in 14, Saul, had, because he has left God's will, he's, he's offended God's will, he is not following God's way, God has sent his tormenting spirit to him. There's been a lot of question about what that means. We don't know, but it, it somehow made Saul's brain go in other directions that, that weren't good for him or the people around him. And, and somebody says, you know what, I know this boy named David. He can play a liar. Maybe that would help. He says, go get him. So the young man who has been anointed king to succeed Saul is brought to Saul, and he plays this instrument of his, and it's the only thing that calms Saul down. It's an interesting thing to think that God brings these two early on when Saul is the king who's being comforted by the, the younger guy because he plays this instrument that sets Saul's mind to rest. But before long, the tables turn because Saul doesn't stay in the place that he needed to with God. And then we've got this incident of David and Goliath. And this is one of my absolute favorites in the Bible. Um, what, what's going on here? It's actually chapter 17 is where it starts in 1 uh, Samuel. So you got David and Goliath. David is a kid. He's maybe 13 years old, but he's full of faith. And he's full of faith because he's been a shepherd. And he says to Saul in a little while that, you know, God has rescued me. God, God has rescued me. When there have been lions and tigers and bears... With my sheep, God has allowed me to kill them. So I know God can do anything. I'm just a little kid with a sling and a staff. But you know what? God can do whatever he wants. Shoot it that again because that was fun. Lions and tigers and bears. There you go. So he goes to Saul. They're at war. You've got the Philistines on one side of the valley. And you've got the Israelites on the other side of the valley. Some of you have been to Israel with Deidre and I. We, uh, we looked over the Jezreel Valley when we were up in the north. And we looked over the Valley of Armageddon. And, and in Israel, there's these huge valleys different than what we see around here because you just see so much land. And what would happen is the armies would gather on either side. And other than horses and chariots, it was all done on foot. Battle was just brutal. And they would bring the armies, thousands of men on either side, <coughs> and they would line up. And typically the way the war would start is they'd chant and they'd, they'd taunt and they'd throw, they'd throw curses at each other. They're waiting for somebody to break and start out and go running. Well, the thing is, the armies were gathered, but the Philistines had somebody on their side that the Israelites were scared of. His name was Goliath. And Goliath would, would go out every morning and he would taunt the Israelites. Uh, in verse, chapter 17, verse 14, Goliath the Philistine, champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. This isn't story. This is history. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. 
His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. I have often wanted to know, how tall was his armor bearer? I mean, this is the guy that's carrying all the stuff. Goliath isn't carrying it. The armor, he's got to be a seven-footer himself. And Goliath would come out and he'd stand and he'd shout at a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Already Saul as king has been disrespected. The leaders of another army from another country, another group of people, don't respect Saul as king. And so they figure they're going to have an easy time in battle. Champion is an important word here. Because what would happen in these days, kings didn't want to lose their whole army in war. So they would find their best soldier. And in the case of the Philistines, it was Goliath, just because he was a monster. He was the champion. And the leaders of the two sides, the two kings, would agree that they would let the champions fight. And whichever champion won, that side won the war. So the Philistines, they knew they were in good shape because they had Goliath. Nobody would even face them. The Israelites did not have a champion to send out. <coughs> so Jesse, David's dad, sends him to the front. And he says, go check on your brothers. And he has to go bring them some food and things because the army didn't provide food and clothing. The families had to do that for themselves. What Jesse wanted was to know, are my boys fighting? Are, are they still alive and are they being heroes? Are, are they doing... Are they doing their job fighting for Israel? And David gets there. Nobody's fighting at all. It's just Goliath that's making fun of everybody. Goes on and he says, well, what, what's going to happen? What happens if someone defeats this Goliath guy? Oh, the king's going to give him money and a daughter. He doesn't have to pay taxes. It's going to be great. And every day, Goliath comes out to defy the armies of Israel. And it says, David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get? who is this pagan Philistine anyway, that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God. I talked about perspective. The army's perspective, all of these grown soldiers' perspective is they're going to die. David's perspective is, who is this man to defy the army of God? It's all perspective, folks. Everything in our life is a matter of perspective. Do you see your life, your problems, and your opportunities through the lens of what God can do through them? Or do you see them through the fear of what you cannot do? David just saw what God could do. Every day, the men gave the same reply. says, yep, this is the reward, but you can't do anything. Don't worry about it. Until his brother comes out. His oldest brother says, what are you doing here anyway? What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and your deceit. You must want to just see the battle. The brother has a different perspective. His perspective is a matter of shame. He knows that David is taking a report back to dad. And what's the report? Dad, they're not even fighting. Your sons, my older brothers, they're like the rest of the Israelite army. They're scared. They're afraid of this guy, Goliath. Yeah, he looks kind of big and he talks stuff, but I don't think he's that big of a problem. The brother's perspective is completely different from David's. So it goes on and David uh, ends up, word of David and his, his attitude gets back to Saul. And Saul says, okay, what do you want to do about it? And David says, I'll go take care of him. See, God has, God has protected me. I'm confident with my sling and my staff because whenever I've been out with the sheep and I'm the only one around, whenever there's a lion or a tiger or a bear, yeah, God helps me take care of it. I'm not worried about Goliath. He's not any worse than any of these. So Saul goes, well, put on my armor and you go take care of him, son. So he put, David, this kid, puts on all of his armor of a grown man. And he goes, it's too heavy. I can't, even, I can't even move in it. He said, I got a sling and I got my staff. That's all I need. In fact, all I need is my sling. 
Saul goes, go get him, boy. So David, on his way, stops by in the, in the bottom of this valley because the valley's often got a river running through it, and he gets five smooth stones. And they're about the size of a tennis ball is the size of the rocks that he would have picked up. And the sling is probably about eight feet long, and it's doubled over, and you know he would twirl it, and then he'd let one end go that's connected to your finger. And the rock goes flying, and they, they can sling those rocks 150 miles an hour. David was confident because that was the tool, that was the weapon that he had when he was in the wild with the sheep. He knew what he could do with Goliath. So he's walking across to this guy. He's going to meet Goliath. As Goliath moves closer, David ran out to meet him. Part of what we're going to talk about later is David was a worshiper. David right now is on full-on worship mode because what he's thinking is, the battle is God's, it's already won. I get a front row seat to watching this dude fall. He's not the least bit afraid. David is living in faith, so he quickly runs out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag, he takes out a stone, he hurls it with his sling, (coughs) and he hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sunk in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. And David ran over, and he pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. It's interesting. Goliath's nine feet tall. David is running after him because he just can't wait to be the one that gets to be there to show the the Israelite army and the Philistines that God is the one who's all-powerful. Throws this sling. If you had a tennis ball that weighed four pounds and was made out of rock, hit you in the forehead, what direction are you going to fall? You're going to fall backwards. Goliath, it says, fell forward. Why? Because David was there running forward him with the power of God on him. And you know what? Evil cannot look on the face of God. It defies all logic. But Goliath went straight headfirst onto the ground. And then David killed him. It wasn't just a lucky shot. David knew exactly what was going to happen. As soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner, who's the leader of the army, brought him to Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hand. He says, tell me about your father, young man, Saul said. And David replied, his name is Jesse, and we live in Bethlehem. He was also humble. But something happened in that moment. There was a shift. Suddenly Saul became angry. Saul got jealous of David, and he tries on different occasions going forward to kill him. David is far more kind than what most of us would be to the way some of the people treated him, Saul especially. See, David is made of the stuff that real kings are made of. Real kings, real men and women of God don't worry about the battle. They worry about the God taking him through the battle. They don't worry about the people yelling all kinds of things to scare him and drive him away. They worry about the God that propels them forward, and that's David. But it caused, it caused Saul to hate him, and it, that hate continued to grow. We meet another character, Jonathan, and so next week we're going to talk about Jonathan and Saul and his relationship, David's relationship with the two of them, because it was so formative in in David's life as he grew as a leader and as a king, and how important it is, the people that we have around us, because Jonathan, he spoke words of life into David, Saul spoke words of death into David, and who we have around us do one or the other, and we've got to be careful about who we choose. Jump ahead to 2 Samuel 5. David's named king over all of Israel, and Saul is dead. But there's something that is carried on in David that we learned about with Joshua. 
When God spoke to Joshua, he said, Be strong and courageous, for I am with you. David knew that he could be strong and courageous, for God was with him. My question is, do you know that you can be strong and courageous, for God is with you? See, if you want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, we've got to know where we are with God. And David had no question about that. 2 Samuel 5.17, again, David uh, defeats the Philistines, takes the Ark of the Covenant, brings it back to Jerusalem, and David dances and worships in the street because David is a worshiper. He is married to Saul's daughter, Michal. Michal sees him doing this, and David was so excited about worshiping, he kind of forgot to wear his robe, and so his wife got really mad that the king is dancing naked in the street, but that's a whole other story. But the thing is, David is a worshiper. He doesn't care what people think about him. David only cares what God thinks about him. David doesn't care about the negatives or the you better nots or, or the people who are threatening his life like Goliath. He just cares about what God thinks. Second Samuel 11, uh, 12, we run into the episode that is probably the lowest point in David's life. He's up on the top of his castle and he's looking down on a roof and he sees a beautiful woman named Bathsheba taking a bath. And she's married to one of the, the top leaders in his army, but the the, her husband is off at war and he sends for Bathsheba and they end up having a relationship that they shouldn't have had together. And it ends up being one of the lowest points of David's life because in his guilt he decides, I've got to do something to cover this. I've got to do something to take care of it. So he has Uriah, her husband, sent to the very front lines of battle, which is not where he should have been, and he's killed there. And if David has a low point, this is it. And yet, even in David's worst days, God was with him. God sent him Nathan, this trusted friend and confidant. And David loved and rebuked David because they had a relationship where Nathan could do that. And David's first child ends up dying, but then he's given another child named Solomon. You know Solomon is the one who asked for wisdom. David is the king that wrote many of the Psalms. Solomon is the king that wrote many of Proverbs. Solomon is born and he rules over Israel. He asks God for wisdom and God gives it to him. But finally, it's, it's the remains of that family that end up destroying the kingdom. And it's split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom comes to be known as Israel. The southern kingdom comes to be known as Judah. But what happens is that God has established the throne through David that Jesus would one day sit on forever. God keeps the promise when Jesus comes to earth. See, but despite David's sin, he never let go of the fact that he had a heart for God and God knew it and God honored it. And God kept his plan and his promise through his purpose in David's life. So who was David? David was many things, but most of all, David was a man after God's own heart. If you're taking notes, I decided to go through and write down, here's a few of the reasons why, because you know what, if you want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, what do we need to do? Maybe here's some of the things we can focus on. He was a musician and a poet. We know that he played the lyre for Saul, but he also wrote the Psalms, and many of them were set to music, and they were used in worship. As a musician and a poet, David wasn't afraid of his softer side. He wasn't afraid of being emotional. David was often moved to tears, and the Bible records it. Not because he was a wimp. He was an incredibly strong man. But he wasn't afraid of being emotional. We grow up in this part of the country, and emotions were kind of given the message, emotions are a bad thing. No, they're not. Emotions are a gift from God. And so men and women and young people, don't be afraid of showing others emotion. Sometimes we need to 
be less afraid about loving people the way Jesus loves them and willing to show both others and God that in our worship, in our prayer, and just simply in our life and the way that we help take care of people. But we get this message that emotions are bad. David would say, no, emotions aren't bad at all. He was a shepherd just like Jesus who would follow in his line. Jesus becomes the good shepherd. David learns to lead people by humbly learning how to lead sheep first. David's a man of integrity. He was a sinner. He'd be the first to acknowledge it. But he showed over and over and over again that he accepted responsibility for his actions. While his actions weren't always honorable, his heart was always true to God. And God is looking at the heart. A guy who lives a life that's full of greatness and then some moments full of things he'd really rather have just plain old forgotten. I bet you can relate. He was a man of godly love for his family, for his friends, even for his enemies, even for Saul who didn't deserve it. See, David didn't care what other people thought about him. David cared what God thought about him. He cared what God thought about him, so he cared for other people the way that he believed that God would want him to. We get so worried about what others think about us and what they say about us that we lose sight of what really matters, and that's what God thinks of us. But because David was more concerned about what God thought, he was able to be kind and loving to people who were unkind and unloving to him. He was a man of great faith. First Samuel 17, 47. Uh, when he's ready to go out and confront Goliath, he says, And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear, because that's what Goliath had. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. What he says to Goliath, Goliath doesn't believe because he doesn't believe in God. But David knows it's true, which is quite a message for today. Got people all over the place saying that God isn't real. You know what? You're going to find out one day that he is when you bow before him. The Bible says that's what's going to happen. So this, this challenge that he issues to Goliath, these are words of a boy who already has the faith experience of men two and three times his age because he knows that God is faithful. See, David shows us that with God, it's never too late. It isn't too late to apologize. It isn't too late to start over. It isn't too late to say, I'm sorry, or to try again. It isn't too late to give your life to the one who gave his life for you. See, whatever's going on in your world, it isn't too late. And we get to points of tremendous despair because we think, it's too late. There's no more hope for me. I used up my last best chance. David would say no. He was a leader who could be trusted. 1 Samuel 24, 13. Is that old proverb says, David says, from evil people come evil deeds. So you can be sure I will never harm you. David knows that his heart isn't evil, but he knows that some people's hearts are. And so he promises people who are looking to him as a leader saying, I'm not going to harm you. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to bring anything bad to you. He's a man of humility. In 2 Samuel 7, 18. King David went in and sat before the Lord and he prayed this prayer. Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? After all that he had been through, all that he had accomplished, everything that he had, he was still so humble to remember that one day he was a shepherd boy that even his brothers and fathers forgot about. How many Christians have you heard who have hearts that are so much more arrogant or selfish than that? And yet David was humble. He was a man of forgiveness. He gave forgiveness and he received forgiveness. Psalm 51 is one of his psalms that he wrote after Nathan had come to him talking about Bathsheba. 
It's the psalm where he says, God, I know what I've done. I am sorry for what I've done. You and you alone can make my heart clean again. If you haven't read Psalm 51, take a note. Go read it. David was a worshiper. He wrote the songs. He danced. He worshiped in the street. David knew and trusted God is able to do anything he wants at any time that God wants to the point that David worshiped running headfirst into battle against Goliath because he knew that was a moment that was going to lead to celebration. See, the, the life of David shows us what it takes to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. And it is not living a perfect life. It is not setting up your life to look like you are sinless. It's setting up your heart to know that you're not. And trusting in God for what God has done for us in Jesus. Being a, being a man or a woman after God's own heart, it isn't about being religiously perfect. It isn't about being sinless or having your Bible memorized front to back. It's about loving and serving and doing our best every day to live for Jesus, our Savior, who is perfect. It's recognizing that it's not about us at all. It's about God in us. See, David was anointed to be king as a child. He was a faithful warrior. He was a fierce warrior. He was a mighty king. He was an adulterer, a murderer. He was strong and courageous. And the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. The great and not so great King David was all those things and a whole lot more. But the truth is, the sum of who we are cannot be contained in a sentence or on a tombstone. Who we are is known in bits and pieces by the people who surround us in life. And in total... We're known only by God, which is why God looks at our heart. David and his life of successes and failures, it gives us hope that God is with us all the time. Even in our most stupid, regrettable moments, people may never forgive us. Some of them won't. But God, who sent us Jesus, will. And so, what do I want to leave you with? I want to leave you with this. Your life and your legacy are not defined by your worst moments. Your life and your legacy are defined by who you choose to become in Jesus. And that's great news. Your past does not define your future. And the sins of life do not define the value or the meaning of your life. There are people in this world who will tell you that they do. It's not true. Your value, your meaning, your purpose are all a part of God's great plan and design for your life. If only you'll give your life to Him. The good news for us is that means no matter what we've done to this point, no matter who you are right at this moment, you can spend the rest of your life working to become a man or a woman with a heart after God's own heart. And that's really the story of David. Yeah, he was a great king, but he was also a very normal person like you and I. And despite all the things that he did wrong, God chooses to have us remember Him as a man after God's own heart. Let's pray. God, it's easy to look at David and people like him in the Bible and look over the things that they did wrong, the ways that they sinned against you. And then it's, it's easy to look at them and say, well, that, that's kind of the story of their life. But God, that's not how you work. It wasn't then and it isn't now. God, thank you that because of Jesus, who we are at the moment, who we have been in the past, does not need to define who we will be in the future. 
God, you talk about us being a new creation in you and because of you, because of Jesus. David shows in, in, in writing his psalms, he pours his heart out, his pain, his agony, his remorse. And we see that David, David was not resigned to be remembered only by his mistakes and his sin. He's, rem- he's remembered as the greatest king in all of Israel because he was a man who no matter what he was doing, he chased after you. And you choose to have us remember him as a man after your own heart. God, that's what we want to be. We want to be men and women who have hearts after your own. In Jesus' name, amen. Finally, last thing is this. It's not too late to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. I really mean that when I say God looks at our heart, not at our history. The devil, the enemy of God, the world wants to hold you captive with your history. What God wants to do is to free you with your heart for him. And so it's all a matter of perspective. Who are you going to listen to?